As we've come to, to Romans chapter 12 and the subject of spiritual gifts, we've slowed down a bit, and I'd encourage you to open your Bibles there to Romans 12. Why have I slowed down even more as we've gotten to Romans 12, 6, 7, and 8? Well, because there are so many views held by Christians, I thought it important to dig a little deeper and let you know what I believe the Bible teaches and what ABC believes and teaches in this area. But I once again want you to remember that godly Bible-believing Christians do disagree on these things. Even those who hold to a very high view of Scripture, as inspired and inerrant as we do, disagree on some of these things. And we appreciate God's grace and His gospel in the lives of those who differ on these non-essential issues. And as I mentioned last time, many godly men whom I respect and learn from have a different view than I do in this area. And I, I didn't give any names last time, but for example, I'll give you a name this morning. Uh, a leading theologian who has different views in this area than, than I do is Wayne Grudem. And I, whether or not you're familiar with him, it doesn't matter. But while I don't agree with his belief in this area that we're talking about this morning and the whole sign gifts thing, I value his faithful and godly leadership in the evangelical world. He, he stands firm on the gospel, on God's sovereignty, and so much more. Um, you know, I actually refer to his systematic theology book on a weekly basis. But even though I don't agree with him in this area, he has great stuff elsewhere that I've learned from. Uh, another example, I meet with pastors on a weekly basis who, even though we don't discuss this, I know that we disagree on this. And yet I love them and pray for them, and they do for me as well. So, so again today, I want to begin by affirming and appreciating the unity of the broader body of Christ and those who, who treasure the Scriptures and, and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ for salvation and Him alone. And we can have unity in that. But I believe this is an important enough issue to spend some time on because I think the authority and sufficiency of the Bible is at stake in these areas. And those who teach differently about the sign gifts may say the Bible is sufficient and authoritative, but their writings and their practice can confuse people and lead them to chase after some sort of new revelation or to be constantly looking for signs or putting out fleeces and that type of thing. God has spoken. We have it in the Bible. We have His Spirit within us, and that is sufficient. We no longer need a prophetic word. We no longer need the signs and miracles. So with that being said, read with me once again Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, then we'll pray and look at it. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives, with liberality. He who leads, with diligence. He who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in it. And uh, even though we know that your word says one thing, uh, sometimes we're not exactly sure to how to interpret it. And Father, there's disagreement amongst Christians whom we love. Uh, so Father, I pray that as we look at this issue, it would not be divisive, but that you would speak to us from your word and that we might see what you have for us this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. So what have we seen up to this point on spiritual gifts? 
Well, there's a wide variety of them, obviously, and every Christian has at least a spiritual gift and that we're to use them in service in the body of Christ. Uh, we've seen and we'll see again, once again today, the New Testament clearly teaches there is an end to the inspired revelation of God. The Bible is finished. The canon is closed. We're not to add to it or take away from it. There's no more revelation from God in that sense. Scripture is complete, and we can thank God for that. Uh, we also saw that the apostolic era came to an end with the death of the Apostle John, the last living apostle. Uh, the church was built on what? The foundation of what? The apostles and the prophets, right? There are no more apostles today, and to give my conclusion right up front so you, where you know I'm going, neither are there prophets today, okay? You may disagree with me. That's okay. We'll, we can talk about it. But we saw last time that the Spirit's work has not ended. The Holy Spirit is alive and well. He, he still gives spiritual gifts to every Christian. Uh, God still answers prayer and performs miracles and healings as He pleases, although He does not give those gifts of healing as He once did. And, and although... The Spirit's work in our lives, the Spirit's gifting of each Christian, the Spirit's healings and miracles, those things have not ceased. The sign gifts, I believe, has ceased. The apostolic error has ceased. The giving of revelation from God to man has ceased. We have God's completed Word, and we trust Him through His Spirit to use His Word to speak to us. And we can trust and we can treasure the, the, the book that God has given us to reveal his truth to us. And, and so we should be pursuing experiencing God's promises and his commands that he has clearly given to us in his word and not go chasing after signs or new revelation. No, we don't worship the Bible. We worship the one who has revealed himself to us in the Bible. And so now we come to Romans 12, 6, and the issue of prophecy. And just, just to read the end of verse 6 again, he, Paul says, If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. faith. And the obvious questions are, what is prophecy? And secondly, is it still happening today? Well, my first point this morning connects with what we've already said about God having finished giving his inspired revelation. So, so, number one this morning, I believe the Bible teaches that prophecy as new revelation no longer happens, okay? In 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, the gift of prophecy comes immediately after and appears to be closely linked with the gift of apostles. There were no apostles at this time in the church in Rome, so Paul doesn't mention them in his list here. Paul will get to Rome eventually, but no apostle has gone there yet. But he does list prophecy here. So what is prophecy? Well, in Revelation 22, we have one definition. It says, John writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. Okay, so how is prophecy defined there? Prophecy is God's word given through a human messenger, is what John says. And here, prophecy is clearly new revelation from God that is inerrant, that is infallible, and is to be honored and obeyed and not added to or taken away from or tampered with in any way. In this sense, prophecy is God's word, whether it was given orally 
by an Old Testament prophet or whether it's written down as John did here. And Revelation 22, 7 and verse 10 have the same sense of prophecy, as does Revelation 1, 3, when the book opens with a blessing for those reading this prophecy. And then in Revelation 19, 10, it defines the spirit of prophecy as the testimony of Jesus. It's truth pointing to Jesus. You know the central theme of Old Testament prophecy? The central theme of all New Testament preaching is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who the Bible's about, correct? Correct. So, so the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus, and until Jesus returns, all those who proclaim the gospel, including you, including me, must be faithful to the testimony of Jesus, the saving gospel message, which is his message. And yet, this kind of prophecy is new revelation, I believe, is seen here as ending. It's not to be added to or taken away from. This is it. It's complete. And I think Peter confirms that in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Uh, he says, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So the Old Testament prophet and the New Testament prophet had this gift of prophecy as receiving revelation and speaking it to others or writing it down. Old Testament prophets received direct revelation and were able to sometimes foretell the future as God enabled them to do so. Their function in part was to reveal what God would do in the days or the years ahead. Have all their prophecies been fulfilled yet? No. Have some of them been fulfilled? Yes. And they all will be fulfilled one day. But they were revealing what God would do. Their prophecies also dealt with matters of immediate concern to the nation of Israel, what God wanted his people to do at that time. Their prophecies also contained matters of doctrine. God revealed truth to them so they would in turn give it to the people, reveal it to the people. So, so Old Testament prophets both foretold the future and foretold or proclaimed God-given truth. But both of those aspects involve direct revelation from God. And so now as we come to the New Testament, since the New Testament was not yet complete when Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, the Corinthians, the Galatians, the Romans, it makes sense he would value the spiritual gift of prophecy as God's word being brought to these Christians in Rome where there was no apostle. And Paul's letters to those people that I just mentioned were among the first letters he wrote and among the earliest written in the New Testament. So I, I think it's no wonder 1 Thessalonians 5 says not to despise prophecies because prophecies were bringing God's word to these Christians. Before the New Testament was complete, those with the gift of prophecy instructed the church because as 1 Corinthians 14, 22 says, prophecy was for believers. You know, 1 Corinthians 14, and obviously this is a huge topic and I'm not plumbing the depths of what it, Scripture says about it this morning. 1 Corinthians 14 is a whole chapter about the value of prophecy for building up the church as opposed to speaking in diverse tongues, okay? As a matter of fact, Romans 12, or Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are all about spiritual gifts. What's chapter 13 about right in the middle of it? Love. Spiritual gifts are to be done lovingly and served in love. A uh, whole other topic for another day. So verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 14 says, One who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. And it goes on, and the chapter clearly tells us, and we already know, that all prophesy, prophesy, prophecy does not have a sense of predicting the future. Okay? 
Prophecy could also speak truth into a situation like the prophecies uh, concerning Timothy must have done when hands were laid upon him for, for the ministry that had been entrusted to him. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 4, 14 and read it on your, on your own. But that gives us an example, a biblical example, of the personal, specific, individual nature that prophecy sometimes had but wasn't necessary to be placed in the Scriptures. We don't know what those prophecies of Timothy specifically were. They're not included in Scripture, but God was speaking at that time. God spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and not every word he gave was necessarily written down for keeping. Okay? Yet it was all still God's word, and therefore it was still all true, it was still all inerrant, it was infallible, it was totally trustworthy because it came from the Lord. And a true prophet, biblically speaking, a true prophet of God had the ability to pass along the direct words of revelation from God. They were mouthpieces for God, if you will, speaking his word to their world regarding the past, regarding the present, and regarding the future at times. And they played an important role in the Old Testament and in the early church. And the gift of prophecy was important in that it met a unique and real need in the early church. I mean, think about the Christians there in Rome. They were at a loss without any of the revelation because it had not yet been recorded. They didn't have it to read. So God gave his word, if you will, part by part through revelation, through these gifted men, until his written word was complete. Okay, let's, let's back up. If apostles are no longer in the church, and they aren't, that creates the precedent, does it not, for prophets no longer being in the church today as well? And that's where we need to note, I think, a second point to refute an error that's cropped up in the past hundred years or so. And that is that prophecy as errant or fallible revelation is not real prophecy, okay? It no longer happens. Now, why do I say this? In trying to defend the continuation of the sign gifts, definitions have changed. And we talked a little bit about that of healings and miracles. They've been dumbed down. It's no longer the regeneration of a limb. It's a, it's a bad back being made well or whatever the case. In redefining prophecy, some Christians whom I respect say prophecy is no longer God's infallible words. It now means God gives prophecy today that may not always be true. And a godly Christian and theologian like Wayne Grudem whose ministry, once again, I value, believes that view of prophecy here. And he teaches that prophecy today is not inspired in the same way as Scripture was inspired, and neither is prophecy today inerrant as Scripture is inerrant. Instead, it's a human report of something God has brought spontaneously to mind. It's different from teaching, he believes, and that teaching is based on a written text of Scripture, while prophecy is based on the immediate impression that God is directing our thoughts to information that we would not otherwise have known or might otherwise not have spoken. Okay, let me stop there. Does God's Spirit, who lives within us, still prompt us and bring things to our minds? Yes, of course, absolutely. If we speak what he brought to mind, is that biblical prophecy? No. Absolutely not. Can people think the Spirit is prompting them to do something that is contrary to God's Word? They can believe that. Ever hear someone say, God is leading me to divorce my spouse? It's a contradiction, isn't it? 
Ever hear someone say, God told me not to be involved in the local church, but to worship him on my own? Contrary to scripture. That's not prophecy. They may go on to say some good things that may be true, but that's not prophecy. Because the Bible clearly teaches us we are to be involved in a local church. We're not to divorce our spouse. God does not contradict himself, okay? So to agree that the Bible is superior to any kind of prophecy given today, but that prophecy is still being given today, raises all kinds of questions about the Bible. Now, what do I mean by that? Because the very structure of the Scripture is based on the idea of the infallibility of the prophetic word. And when you have Christians arguing that New Testament prophets, including prophets today, are not infallible, that begins to erode the foundation and the superiority and the infallibility of Scripture. And you know, as you read through the Bible, uh, Psalm 19, Psalm 119, which we're going to begin reading next week, other passages all teach us that God's Word is pure, it is true, it is trustworthy, it is faithful. It is inerrant. And yet some of these Christians say sometimes a prophetic word from the Lord may have error in it, and thus it's not equal with Scripture, but it's still from God. I see no biblical evidence for that kind of prophecy. In addition to how Scripture characterizes God's word, you can read in Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18 to see how false prophets were treated, right? God, through Moses, tells us that anyone who claimed to speak for God, to be a prophet, or to have a word from the Lord, and they were wrong, was to be stoned. Okay? Prophets in the Old Testament were only considered prophets of God if they were infallible in what they said. And I believe the same is true in the New Testament. And the only way to judge a prophet in both Testaments is by their prophecies. We only know prophets aren't from God if their prophecies are false or if their words contradict Scripture. And I find it interesting that we have no examples in the New Testament of, of, of a true prophet who, who, whose prophecies were mixed with error. We don't see that there. Of course, every prophet and every prophecy was to be examined to see if it was true and proved whether or not that person was a true or a false prophet. And God, as I said, didn't take it lightly when anyone claimed to have a word from him that he did not give. The Israelites, his own people, when the prophets came to them, they were still to examine the prophecy with the prior revelation from God and see if the predictions came true and then either affirm it as true or reject it as false. To validate New Testament prophecy, uh, complete agreement with the apostles' teaching was also mandatory. Okay? Paul tells us, uh, as he writes to the Corinthians, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. That, was a, that, that test was final. If you claim to have the gift of prophecy, but you're not in agreement with the apostles' teaching, even in New Testament times, you are not a prophet. There's no dumbed-down, middle-ground definition of prophecy where it becomes something that is truth mixed with error. We do not see that biblically. Uh, of course, there were false prophets who claimed to speak for God, and they may ha uh, have had a mixture of truth and error in their messages, but they weren't mixed prophets. No, what does the Bible call them? False prophets. And Israel was not to listen to them. So, in, in my opinion, my interpretation of Scripture that kind of definition has no biblical basis. 
Okay? Uh, I believe it's a very serious thing to claim that God spoke to me and thus imply it as infallible as you proclaim it to someone else. The only time I can speak infallibly is when I read Scripture because it is infallible. So the Spirit speaks in and through the inspired Word of God. He doesn't call and direct his people through, through subjective feelings or, or people claiming to speak for him or by reading the entrails of a chicken. It's all the same. It's not, he doesn't do that. And when we use language like God told me, we must be careful to qualify it because that's prophetic language. And I know we use it, and I understand, but we need to be careful. Because when we say God told me, that's using the prophet's language, thus says the Lord. Once again, don't get me wrong. I do believe God by His Spirit may lay something on our hearts in a way that is consistent with the Word of God or bring something to our minds that's already an implication or an application of Scripture. He does that, and we thank God for that. And the Holy Spirit does that as part of applying the Word of God to our lives. After all, He is the author of Scripture, correct? But those promptings must be examined by and supported from the Word of God. Can God work providentially in such a way as to use our thoughts and impressions to draw us closer to Him? Yes, of course. God can do whatever He likes, right? But that work is not revelation from God. It's not miraculous from God. And I like the way Phil Johnson explains this. He says, quote, How do we understand that inner sense, especially when God seems to use it to prompt us to pray or witness or duck and run at precisely the right moment? Because let's be honest, he says, that kind of thing does happen to most of us from time to time. I do believe that God might providentially use a spontaneous thought in my head to accomplish something wonderful. But that's what it is and no more. It's a remarkable providence, not a prophecy. God ultimately controls and uses everything providentially. The fact that he uses an idea in my mind to achieve some good purpose does not make the idea itself inspired. He's saying what I'm trying to say. Okay? Yes, God does lead us, and in His providence, He directs the desires of our hearts, and yes, he, he gifts us so that we might serve in various ways by His power, and He gives us the burdens and the passions to serve, but those are not authoritative communications from God, and they dare not be used to push a personal agenda or rationalize sin or manipulate people. No. And the danger we come into all the time, when somebody claims God told them something, who are we to argue when they're implying we're arguing with God? But we need to question those claims. Because when we question those claims, we're not arguing with God. We're doing what God has told us to do in his written word. The Bereans were praised for what? Examining even what the Apostle Paul preached to see if it agreed with Scripture. That's what we're called to do. So with all that being said, let's jump back to Romans chapter 12, verse 6 for just a minute. And here in this list of gifts, it's possible that Paul lifts, lifts, lists both sign gifts that have ceased and other gifts that have not ceased. And if that's the case, as I believe it is, prophecy is the only sign gift that he gives in this list. And when Paul wrote this letter, as I said, prophecy was still a means of receiving and communicating revelation from God because the written word was not complete. So it's no wonder Paul includes it as he writes to these Christians in Rome, especially since there was no apostle there. And when used of Old Testament and New Testament prophets prior to the completion 
of the Bible, there was the gift of prophecy to communicate truth from God, and a genuine prophet was not wrong when he spoke the words of God. And if someone claimed to be a prophet and prophesied something that didn't come true or didn't match with Scripture, they were to not only lose their job, they were also to lose their life as well. That's how seriously God took it. And so some Christians who believe the sign gifts have ceased, who, whom I respect and learn from today, teach, and these are different from the ones like Wayne Grudem, but there are many Christians that teach the, the gift of prophecy is still operating today, but only as another term for preaching and teaching and proclaiming the gospel. And, and they may be right. I disagree at this point, but you can change my mind, I'm sure. You know, reformers and Puritans taught that prophecy as pure new revelation had stopped. And they wouldn't have seen any category uh, of prophecy being a mixture of true and false revelation happening. But they did teach that the gift of prophecy was simply proclaiming the written revelation God had already given. As a matter of fact, a Puritan book on preaching by William Perkins is titled The Art of Prophesying. What do you think it's about? It's about preaching. And it's a short book. At the very end, he summarizes. Preaching involves, one, reading the text clearly from the canonical scriptures. Did I say that right? Okay. Number two, explaining the meaning of it once it has been read in the light of scriptures themselves. Three, gathering a few profitable points of doctrine from the natural sense of the passage. And four, if the preacher is suitably gifted, applying the doctrines thus explained to the life and practice of the congregation in straightforward, plain speech. And then, in conclusion, he says this, the heart of the matter is this, preach one Christ, by Christ to the praise of Christ, to God alone be the glory. And we say amen. But I don't believe his definition of prophecy, okay? What does prophecy mean? Well, it means to speak forth. It means to proclaim, right? That's what the word does mean. So why am I saying I don't believe it? Well, even though it can be used for merely speaking in public and proclaiming something, in Scripture it typically involves speaking with God's authority on something. And some of what the Old Testament prophets spoke was declaring already revealed truth to the people, reminding them of what God had already said, rather than predicting something or giving new revelation. And so it's probable that the gift of New Testament prophecy included proclamation of revelation that had already been given in the Old Testament. And I find it telling that nowhere does the New Testament distinguish Old Testament prophecy from New Testament prophecy. It's all the same. And just as the Old Testament prophets spoke direct, infallible revelations from God, so did the New Testament prophets. And once it was checked against previous uh, revelation and scripture and approved, it was added to the church's revolution, revolution, revelation. And that was very relevant during the time that New Testament revelation had not yet been complete. You know, the people there in Rome who were Christians did not have a complete New Testament. They may not have even had a complete Old Testament. But we do. And I believe the gift of prophecy has ended along with the gift of apostles and, and the sign gifts. 
So, so Rome and the early churches didn't have the complete canon of Scripture. They didn't have, uh, uh, well, they, they needed somebody who could speak to them and tell them the truths of God. And sometimes God would gift through the Holy Spirit someone to be a prophet who spoke authoritatively, infallibly the, to, the, to the Christians what they needed to know so that the foundation for the church could be built. Okay, getting back to Romans 12 just for a minute again. It lists a sample of spiritual gifts. It's not all-inclusive, and we'll talk about that. But these are some of the gifts that God has given the church for, for mutual ministry by the diverse members of the body of Christ. And this list also includes how to use each gift. So note how Paul says to use the gift of prophecy here. If prophecy is your gift, use it in proportion to the faith. The literal wording is the faith, not his faith or our faith. It is the faith. What is the faith? It's the complete body of doctrine that's seen in verses like Jude 3, where Jude said to contend earnestly for what? The faith once for all delivered to the saints. Similarly, in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says to stand firm in the faith. The faith is the body of doctrine that God has revealed to us. And when the gift of prophecy was around, it was used, uh, that gift was to be used in proportion to the faith. What does that mean? Well, the word proportion is also the word we get our word analogy from. Uh, it can also be a tr uh, translated agreement. But it's given us the principle of Bible interpretation known as the analogy of faith. What does that mean? It's the need that we have to compare one scripture with another so that a passage that is very easy to understand throws light on a passage that is less clear. Okay? And that's a basic Bible interpretation principle. So no matter how you understand the gift of prophecy, this means that even the prophet the New Testament prophet that was given the gift of prophecy was bound by prior revelation that God had given. He's not to proclaim anything that is contrary to the faith, the body of doctrine that's already been delivered to the saints. So, prophecy as new revelation, I believe, no longer happens. Prophecy as a mixture of truth and error is not prophecy. Okay? And three, proclaiming prior written revelation is not called prophesying. It's called preaching and teaching. Okay? With the completion of the Bible, with the completion of the New Testament canon, prophesying stopped, but preaching and teaching God's Word continued. As I said, Jude 3 uh, speaks of the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. In other words, the faith to which we hold has already been settled, this body of doctrine. It doesn't need the addition. It doesn't need the refinement that comes from extra-biblical revelation. And I think, too, we see uh, a transition from prophet to teacher kind of implied in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, where Peter writes, There were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false... It doesn't say prophets. It says teachers among you. There were false prophets. There will be false teachers. And he seems to imply that the age of the prophets was coming to a close. So spiritual, the spiritual gift of prophecy in the sense of receiving new revelations from God to be proclaimed to others ceased with the completion of the Bible. 
during the time that prophecy was a gift, it was to be used for the education, education, edification, exhortation, comfort of Christian people. But the truth of God has already been fully revealed to us today in his word. While in the early church, it was still being revealed. And no utterance of man should ever be considered equal to or above what God has already said in his written word. And so we must hold to the word that God has already given and commit ourselves to scripture to see what God is saying to us. And the gift of prophecy shouldn't be confused with the gift of preaching or the gift of teaching. The preacher and teacher must take a text of previously revealed truth and seek to explain it. And the teacher and preacher's authority only extends as far as their correct interpretation of the text. But one with the gift of prophecy would deliver a new text, so to speak. And his authority rests in the message itself, saying, this is what God says, thus says the Lord. So preaching and teaching are not prophetic, it's not prophesying, it's explaining the revelation of God. Prophecy is revelation from God. So, so I might sum up my three points this morning like this. God has finished giving us the scripture. We already have it. Don't look for God's word apart from the Bible. We have it here. And prophets and prophesying no longer happen today. Today, God uses teachers and preachers to proclaim and explain his already written word. So let me encourage you. Be thankful that we have the Bible the complete word of God, and that we must approach it as the most certain truth from God that is available. All we need to know for salvation and sanctification has been given to us by God in this book. And as the writer of Hebrews says, now that God has spoken in the last days through his son, we don't need further words from him to explain what Jesus accomplished in his ministry, death, and resurrection. Instead, we're to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all, how was it delivered? Through the apostles and through the prophets. And this doesn't mean we downplay the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Absolutely not. He is at work in our lives, in our church, in our ministries. If he's not, we have a problem. We cannot downplay the work of the Holy Spirit because we are constantly to be controlled by him, are we not? And we're able to do that as we saturate our minds in his all-sufficient word. Because it's here that God's truth is self-attesting. It is self-evident through the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit working within us. Why am I talking fast? <laughs> Needless to say, the notion of ongoing revelation in the church today worries me. If you, got, uh, if you believe God is revealing himself through prophets today... That undermines the sufficiency of Scripture. It's saying, I need more than what God has given me. Why read your Bible when God is speaking to you through your favorite prophet? I believe it teaches people to look for additional revelation from God outside of the word which he says is complete. And if God is still speaking through prophets with additional revelation, Scripture alone cannot be said to make the man of God complete thoroughly equipped for every good work because God hasn't said all he wants us to know yet if you believe that God is supposed to be speaking in that way. When you believe that some sort of extra biblical revelation or experience or sign is made necessary, that kind of theology is dangerous. 
No matter how much we might think having prophets would be, you know, how cool would it be for a prophet to come in and says, thus says the Lord. Wow, cool. No. We should be rejoicing in the fact that God has allowed us to live in a time where we have his word. The whole story that God has revealed to us, that, that teaches us of him, that tells us how he redeems us, teaches us how to live now and what to expect in the future. We need no other prophecy. Two thoughts in closing. Yeah, don't you love it? I got three points to my sermon, but then two sub-points or something. Anyway, while new revelation of truth from God has ceased, the repetition and proclamation of God's truth has not stopped and must not stop. There is no new revelation from God. You hold in your hands the complete word of God. We are not waiting for God to speak. He has spoken and continues to speak today through his word. And the great need of mankind has not changed since Adam and Eve. We desperately need to hear from God because we cannot save ourselves. And the reading and the teaching and the preaching and the proclamation of the Bible delivers to us what God has said. And secondly, while the gift of prophecy has ceased, the need for you to speak for God has not ceased. What did Paul tell Timothy? I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. To do what? Wait for some prophecy? No. Preach the word. What word? This word. He tells Timothy, communicate, proclaim, explain, expound on the scriptures, on the word of God. Because when you remove the word of God from your reading or your teaching or your preaching or your evangelizing, if you remove it from your life, you are offending the God who has revealed himself to you through this very word. So yes, prophecy was an important gift to the church. It met a unique need in the early church, but it is no longer needed, and prophecy is no longer given. Its partial messages, 1 Corinthians 13, have been replaced by the complete revelation of Scripture. We have God's complete word, and we are blessed to have it. So don't go looking elsewhere for God's revelation. Trust Him and trust how He's chosen to reveal Himself to us in his written word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. Without that, we would be lost and damned in our sins for all eternity. But because you have chosen to reveal yourself to us, because you have chosen to send your Son, fully God, to take on human flesh, to live a sinless life, and to die in our place for our sins, we can have a relationship with you. We would know none of this without your revealed word, which we hold in our hands. Help us to have a high view of Scripture. Help us to be people of the word. Help us to proclaim it wherever we might go. Father, don't allow us to be uh, sidetracked by looking for signs and and prophets and uh, various things to hear from you. Let us continually come to you in your word. And your spirit might continue to reveal it to us that we might understand it that we might believe it, that we might obey it and apply it. We ask these things in your name.